2: progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law
1: happy thursday everybody hope your week is winding down well again we're centering ourselves in self-care rest and pleasure and joy man what a week it's been um lots going on the news is definitely not dull though it never seems to be these days We got a great action-packed show planned for you. Uh, As always, a Question of the Night. It's up on our Loveline IG page, so weigh in on that. And the DMs, they are always open. But let's get into some news. Look, this stuff just doesn't stop. Um, Elon Musk, uh, I didn't get to cover this, but he revealed... Well, he at first basically said that he was working on something that was going to literally blow everyone's mind very controversial and he revealed a working prototype of what he calls his Neuralink brain chip so basically ready for this one it's like a fitbit in your skull with tiny wires yep he uh put it out there used it on a pig i'm personally not a fan of animal testing for me it's a you know inappropriate form of violence but putting that aside to talk about the news story itself, um, how y'all feel about that? Where technology is now becoming something that's more permanent, uh, surgical, and implanted in us. I personally, look, I'm not a Luddite. I'm not afraid of technology and technological advancements. I think that it's a very stunning, beautiful thing. Look at all the things technology has brought to us. And if I look specifically in my world with psychology and sex and relationality, it's really brought people together, helped people stay together. You know, I've said it before, but what would COVID have been like had we not had technology where we could text, FaceTime, share videos, even art and music. People are now able to produce their own music in their basements. They don't need record companies. They don't need publishers. They can put their work out there. It's giving people employment, access. It's also a major point for education, which upsets academia. But, you know, I'm one of those people that's always said, I appreciate knowledge that comes from many different sources, and academia is just one of many. And oftentimes, academia can be classist or racist Textbooks in college is very expensive. And so it can come from anywhere. But this is where I start to kind of draw a line. I personally am not interested in having technology implanted in me. I know for some it's ease. It's also just development. And I do think we're going to get to a place in time where it will be quite common and we will be quite familiar with it. And we probably all will fall in line and in some some capacity get into it. It's kind of like the way cell phones and computers have gone you essentially haven't had in some places really much of a choice employment wise you've had to be able to keep up socially familiarly. and people drag their heels saying i'm not getting a cell phone i'm not getting a computer and maybe some people have held to that and some people have completely disconnected and gone off grid and look i support that there's a lot of beauty in that but i've also seen some people slowly kind of you know catch up and get in on it so look we'll see what happens you know this is intense though so when he initially found this back in 2016, um, his idea was he wanted to help scientists possibly cure a lot of neurological conditions. And also it can help people that have paralysis learn how to, or have the ability to use computers and, and engage in the world in other ways. So I appreciate that. Um, but having tiny electrode threads woven into your brain also creates a lot of possible issues and it it has some possible forms of ableism in it, but we'll see where it goes. It's definitely gonna be an enhancement and I know a lot of people that are definitely interested. Also wanted to just talk about some of the violence I'm hearing. Um, a father attacked a worker at Disneyland because the worker was telling him that him and his children had to wear a mask. Look y'all, these are rules and these are rules to protect other people. So please don't act that violence out on lesser empowered individuals like the employees who aren't even setting those rules, but are you know, making people follow it in order to keep their job. And uh, let's land on a discussion about WAP. <laughs> I'm sure you've all heard that song by now. And it's, I just saw over the past couple of days, it, more and more people making TikTok videos or even just videos outside of that, their own you know vision of the WAP video, which has been quite creative. Also saw a TikTok video where a dad was losing his mind that his daughter was playing and dancing to it. You know, and here's the thing I was, uh, you know, people are thinking, how is this empowering? But again, we talked about this a little bit when you make something disempowering and you marginalize and shame something, well, then empowerment inherently has to become a pushback on that or a retaking back of that. So if you don't want sexuality to be used in an empowering way, then don't disempower it. You have to neutralize it. It's kind of like I say all the time about porn and sex workers. They they exist in the way they exist because they're a needed counterbalance to our sex phobic and sex negative culture. And as soon as we've done the work we need to do, it will neutralize all of that. And not that those um, uh, uh, identities won't exist there's a place for that but it won't have the power it has we those that are against it are the ones that are empowering and actually maintaining it but did y'all see the andrew lloyd weber phantom of the opera tiktok of WAP? because it's a whole lot of something something and god bless him. he's having fun he's keeping up with the kids he's doing his thing so i'm here for that piece of it but there was a part of me that cringed a little bit and thought eh, not everything's for everyone and not everyone has to participate in everything. But you know what? If that song makes you move and it inspires you do your thing, uh, God bless it though. Take some time and find it. All right. So make sure though today you pick three people in your life that are meaningful and important people you have been keeping up with or have not been keeping up with or maybe even thinking about a lot. Reach out to three people today. Every day, three people reach out, stay connected. Socialization can be a really beautiful buffer and resource to keep us healthy, keep us resilient, keep us feeling good. Again, question nights up on our Loveline IG page or listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're going to go to our first guest, musician Ash. How are you? Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. How are you?
1: I'm doing really well. Uh, I always start by asking about mental health. How's your mental health doing right now?
0: I feel like, I, honestly, I feel so grateful and lucky. It's I'm I'm doing pretty well.
1: What kind of self care have you been doing?
0: You know, I do a lot of work around it, pretty pretty consistently. Um, in the mornings, I'm I, I set about an hour of time out every morning of journaling sort of the first thing when I wake up and um and then I read for a little while. I sort of don't let the world enter my space for at least the first hour of the day.
1: Um, Ash, I'm just, so proud of you. You're probably the first person <laughs> that has said that they do that. Can I just tell you number 1, everyone take takes some inspiration from that. But what an act of self-esteem <laughs> that is for you to give yourself that hour every single day. That's beautiful.
0: Oh, Well, thanks. It's definitely, I mean, it's just been the way I've done it for for a really long time, and it's kept me, I think it's kept me really sane and healthy. And, you know, doing what I do, I have the opportunity to constantly be talking to other people and giving my energy and loving on other people. And I have to sort of like, I got to take care of myself first. That's right. In order, yeah. So.
1: And I, I was laughing at a quote of yours because it, it sounds like me. You said, and it's kind of a paraphrase, but you said uh, you're talking about touring, being on tour and self-care. And You said, my body's a hot mess and I get sick really easily on tour. I'm one of those people where any cold or flu that's going around, I will guarantee to pick it up. So did you have to work on improving yourself because of the touring? How did that all come together?
0: Yeah, I think I've been on probably, I think it's been a total of seven tours and one was my, my first headline tour. So the very last tour I did was my first headline. And the six tours prior to that as a support act, I got sick every single tour. And I just, I learned that my body just, it's, it really, if you're not careful, it can really suck the life out of you. And so on my headline tour, I was the most, the most aware possible that I could have been. And took the best care of myself. I didn't get sick once and it was the longest tour I've ever done. Um, I think it was like two and a half months long and I didn't get sick once and I was so damn (laughs) proud. Oh my
1: gosh. Don't rub it in. I can't go a full year without picking something up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. I think really it had to do, I just needed to be, I was much more intentional about what I was eating. Um, And I made my like meet and greets with fans before the show so that when I was dead tired after the show, I wasn't, you know, going to hug people when I'm the most maybe vulnerable and empty and, yeah.
1: So <laughs> how, how's that all changed for you during during quarantine and COVID? It sounds like you get a lot of um, inspiration and energy from being in real time with your fans. So how's that impacted everything?
0: Oh, I mean, it makes me sad. I miss them. <laughs> I miss being out there and on the road. Um, I But I, you know, as sort of extroverted and bubbly as I can be I'm I'm pretty introverted um I gain most of my energy from being alone um so quarantine's been like weirdly good (laughs) I'm like oh sorry I can't go to your party because it's COVID like Yeah. You can't go to the party because you're
1: busy at home thriving without them.
0: (laughs) I'm thriving. I will take a journal session by myself over a party any day.
1: Well done. Well done. And (laughs) so let's talk about the intersections of mental health and music. Do you do you see the ways that they interact with each other? And if so, what what do you think the impact is?
0: Yeah, I think music is an extremely important tool that we can sort of use against or for ourselves. Because if you know you're like feeling just the most um, heavy and sad, you can find the playlist to just like sink into it, you know. Um, Which maybe is exactly what your soul needs for that day. Um, I I don't know. I'm not one to to judge or or pick for you, but um, but music on the other hand can be incredibly healing. And uh, yeah, I feel really lucky that this is sort of my my job I just get to like sit and write and it'd be an incredibly therapeutic experience
1: yeah and that's kind of what I picked up reading some of the interviews you've done you talked a lot about how authentic you work to be how a lot of your lyrics are you know direct quotes from your journaling and so what an interesting way to approach music where you're both providing something really healing and transformative and entertaining to others but it's also you kind of working through and processing your own stuff you're using them for therapy
0: (laughs) That was so, I'm just using, that was so introspective. Yeah. Wow. We got to talk more often. Um, (laughs) I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I definitely am able to, you know, I think, well, as an artist, we sort of are, I feel like in a way our job is to go out into the world and experience it, or rather go out into nowhere because we're in quarantine, um, But it's it's to experience life and then to report back and sort of express how life has shown itself to you and in your own art, you know, unique, artistic way. And yeah, I think I I try to do my best at being the most authentic, but that ranges from when I'm super mature, like I wrote a song called Moral of the Story, which is maybe the most mature record I've ever written. But then I just released a song called Save Myself, which is like, easily in the anger phase of grieving that's like maybe arguably not that mature but like also just working through those emotions and very human and yeah I try to be pretty
1: honest yeah I, I can feel it I, I think if you're uh, astute enough you can sit with someone's music and you can hear how much of them is really present in it and in listening to your mm. music especially preparing to sit with you and interview you I was listening to a lot of it and I could very much feel you in the music and so well done your vulnerability comes through we'll be right back with Ash to talk more about music mental health and her single moral of the story you know, moral of the story, you brought it up, and I think we're all familiar with what that story is about. Is it hard for you to re experience some of the feelings that are what created that song for you around divorce and healing and loss? Mm. It's a lot to go back into every time you perform. <laughs> or not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think I, I have a there's always a choice I can make when I go into performing the record, and I can either choose to dig back into all those really excruciating, excruciating feelings, um, which is sometimes exactly you know what the audience needs or I need in that moment. Um, and then other times I can sort of detach myself from the song in that it's been adopted by so many people across the world that it's no longer just my own song. So it takes on a whole new life. So yeah, there's a lot less. Um, I mean, I'm still it's still a very vulnerable song, but at the end of the day, I I do I can do some healthy detaching from like remembering the day I signed my divorce papers and you know
1: all of that. It's interesting because most people's careers they're not intertwined with our, our true lives or they allow us to leave things behind. But I was thinking about that when I was reading the lyrics to that song. It's like, wow, this just keeps this very much present in her life. But what a beautiful way <laughs> to frame it, that you get it re-narrated and people that listen to it add their own stuff to it, so it evolves.
0: Mm, yeah, well, and the fact that, you know, I got out of a really toxic relationship that wasn't good for me, put, put my story in a song, and then now people will come to me and be like, you know, I left my... Toxic ex, because you know of you know moral of the story. It really helped me get past that relationship. And I mean, I I would be a very you know selfish person to think that my music is about me and it's it starts and ends with me. You know, it has such a bigger story attached to it.
1: And and as far as your journey, you you talked. Um, or have talked many times about having come from a very conservative family and we're at a cultural moment right now where everyone's kind of being challenged to be better and beyond how they were raised mm-hmm. what kind of journey did you go on to get yourself to the place you're at now
0: well do you have an hour and a half to get we have it?
1: we have about two minutes
0: oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh great okay so the abridged version well i don't know i think life um, has a, if you're open to it and you ask the universe to teach you, then it'll be like all right, okay, you ask for it, let's teach you and I moved 3,000 miles away from home and went to Berkeley College of Music and it's an incredibly large um, international school. So there were I was thrown into tons of different cultures and ways of thinking and um, I've always wanted to be a really empathetic and loving human and if that's who I claim to be then, learning about those other cultures and figuring out that there's not one way to see things um, was a really big part of my story and my growth and definitely has made me a better human. Yeah. I don't know if I just answered your question. A hundred percent.
1: hundred percent. I think that was a really valuable tip that you gave, which is like, there's so much to gain and learn from being around people that are different from us. And a lot of people tend to swim in a circle of people that just reflect back exactly how they are. And so I like what you're saying. Find, find diversity. We grow from it.
0: Oh, I could not agree with that more. Yeah. Get outside yourself. Go find people who don't agree with you. Even, even, if you feel like you are the one with the open-minded perspective, like get into a loving, honest conversation, try and, you know, disarm each other and really have a real conversation. I mean, that, that five to 15 minute conversation you had will, could change you for the rest of your life, you know?
1: Yeah. Beautifully said. And for those that are trying to be themselves, you know, authenticity is something that's really important to you. It's a thread that I see woven throughout your entire career. What kind of tips do you give to our listeners that are struggling? Because, you know, we live in a world where everything, literally everything is telling you, you need to change, you're not good enough. You know, I'm talking social Mm -hmm. media advertising. And So as someone who's in the spotlight, someone who, you know, pushes back on that, what kind of tips or tricks would you give to people? Oh,
0: I, this is so loaded. <laughs> I'm making you think
1: today. I'm making you think.
0: <laughs> you are. I love it. It's so good. Well, I just feel like there's, I mean, again, I could give you a really long list, but at the end of it, I think you have to start with knowing who you are. And if you don't know who you are, then someone will decide for you. Mm. Always. It's so much easier to adopt what someone else thinks of you if you haven't figured it out for yourself first. So, you know, how often are we like in a, you know, adolescent stage of life or even older that you meet someone new and you want to date them and you're like, tell me everything about you. Um, Why don't we do that sort of with ourselves and like go on it, take yourself on a date, maybe not out in public since it's COVID, but create a cute invite, make yourself some lasagna at home, light a candle and have a date with yourself and get to know yourself a little bit better and start with really knowing who you are. I, thi- I think that's a really good place to start um, because then you realize uh, other people will always have opinions about who you should be and what's best for you, but you start realizing that it just because they inherently think they know what's best for you or have opinions about your life doesn't actually inherently mean they're right.
1: You know, oh, I want to highlight uh, that, draw a line under it, circle it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I could I could listen to that or read that every morning. I need the reminder myself.
1: Yeah, but I I, I want to go back to uh, just highlight this as we as we kind of wind down is you, every day you start your day with just centering yourself, focusing on yourself, self-care. I've been trying to say that to our listeners to nauseum. Focus on self-care now more than ever. And the <laughs> fact that you take an hour out of your time pushing back, checking the phone, just journaling, that's stunning to me.
0: Oh, well, thanks. I mean, I, I just is sort of I'm such a better person and I'm better for other people. You know, it's like. It's maybe the most it feels selfish at first because you're like, I'm prioritizing myself, you know, above everything else in this day. I'm going to me first. But really, it's like it's kind of the most selfless thing you can do because you end up being I personally end up being a much kinder, more empathetic, more open minded, more loving human being when I've sort of taken care of my own stuff first. Um, But yeah, thanks for saying that and encouraging me and all. I'm keeping it
1: up. Keep it up. Order. Doctor's orders, right? Dr. Chris says. <laughs> uh, congratulations, right. Billboard Hot 100. Moral of the story, we got that plan on all of our stations and save myself. Uh, Ash, thank you so much for everything you're doing and for being a part of our show.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Chris. You are lovely, and let's, let's chat anytime. Call me anytime.
1: I will do so. Be well. Have a great night. You can catch more of Ash and the rest of our conversation on I'm Listening, our mental health show that airs every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, before we get to the DMs, I wanted to just comment on something. People had been asking me for a couple of days in my DMs what my thoughts were on a Bette Midler comment. So after the RNC where Melania Trump spoke, God bless anyone who was able to sit through that crap. Uh, but Bette Midler said, and I quote, um, "She called well, it's not a quote, but she called Melania Trump an illegal alien who can't speak English. And later, when asked to apologize for those racist comments bet midler said yeah i'm not sorry now i understand a lot of people are very upset and they should be at what's going on with the trump family and trump administration and if you're not upset well congrats on all your privilege and get your head out of your butt uh people are being seriously wounded during this administration but more importantly i just wanted to point out that look and we talked about this before about how you intelligently and constructively critique something. Share your thoughts. Share your opinions. Talk about the work. Talk about the statement. Talk about the behavior. But mocking the person, their their credentialing, their race, their their body shape or size. And this came up with Trump when they were mocking him and saying, ah, blah blah blah, small penis. What? What does someone's penis size have to do with anything? And again, we have a lot of penis f- shaming in our culture. Like that. That's not what you go after. Uh, the way someone's born and Melania being a quote unquote illegal alien or not being able to quote unquote speak English <laughs> That is nothing to mock. Melania speaks more than one language. That's that's many more than Bet speaks, right? So there is a level of <clears throat> excuse me, competence and intelligence in that. But that's not what my point is. My my point is actually don't don't attack that. If you have an issue with Melania, take issue with the things she's doing or saying. But her her value as a human being is not tied to her ability to speak a language where she comes from. Um, And again, someone's body shape, size, or race. We got to get away from that. And I also just want to kind of throw it out there. Let's also stop gossiping so much. I'm seeing all these new people coming out saying that they also were involved in Jerry Falwell Jr.'s sexcapades with his wife. Um, You don't need to go public with that. The world doesn't need to know how many people him and his wife have had sex with consensually that are adults. That is no one's business. And that's gossip. And that's a mess. Um, you know, we talked about on the, uh, the show the, the other day, I had an expert on, we were talking about the behaviors that occurred, because I think there's something interesting and beneficial to learn about that, about cuckolding and hot wifing and why people engage in these things. But we don't need to use people's names that's none of my business and the issue with Falwell was that they were always anti-gay but then they themselves engaging in some other non-traditional creative forms of sexuality and there's something very you know hypocritical in that but that that's what we should take issue with we don't need all these other people coming out saying yeah I had sex with his wife too great why do we need to know that why are you telling us that like congrats on your attention so again my it's just a call to be better our mental health is rooted in the mental health of the social world as well. And mental health is about caring about how we impact others. It's called empathy. The opposite of that, again, is narcissism, sociopathy. So let's consider the impact of what we're saying and doing on others. And Melania is still a person. Um, I want her family to be taken out of a role where they can no longer harm individuals. But again, her ability or inability to speak English isn't the issue. Anywho, I digress. Uh, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Live DMs is brought to you by our friends, it comes because it's a big old sexy world, and we want you to explore it with confidence. All right, here goes. Hey, Dr. Chris. My name is Colette, and I'm from Chicago. I'm dating this girl in Miami, but I'm also dating a guy from around here. They know about each other, and they're honestly kind of into it, but I'm starting to feel overwhelmed because they say they want to meet each other and hang out. I'm kind of feeling like that's my cake and only I get to eat it, if that makes sense. Do you think it's a good idea to keep them separate? Um, Gosh, I have so many questions. Do, do I think it's a good idea to keep them separate? I don't really have an opinion either way. I guess I'm more curious as to what, why you don't want them to meet. What are you afraid of having have happen? Um they're happy and supportive of each other. You know, you're wanting to be in an open relationship and so everyone else gets to be in an open relationship. I appreciate maybe you want them to be in an open one with others that you're not related to. Maybe this could turn into a threat one. Maybe the three of you can really relate together. But yeah, I appreciate the complexity and difficulty in that. I would recommend everyone having their own distinct relationships because the relationship between them might impact your relationship to each of them, right? Because it's all very systemic. So, On that level, yes, it's further complicated if everyone meets and is brought together in some way. Uh, Far easier if you separate and compartmentalize them out, which some people do. When when I'm in a serious relationship, the person I'm with meets my friends, but I don't bring everyone together. I also don't tend to socialize with the group. I tend to see my friends as one-offs. I like a lot of deep closeness and intimacy, and so I don't very much run with a collective. So you are allowed to set those boundaries. There's nothing strange in saying, hey, I don't mind you guys meeting and knowing about each other. But that doesn't necessarily have to happen either, but I appreciate you maybe wanting a hard line and making sure that no kind of larger relationship forms. It also gives you a sense of control, but I would want to know what the true anxiety is about. Uh, Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore the confidence. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page, so still some time to weigh in on that. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we've got our body pause, body neutrality, body love, joy with food and movement expert and coach, Ryan Sheldon. What's going on, Ryan? Not much. How are you doing? I'm good. I wanted to have you back on again because I got a DM and I thought it was something that maybe you could talk more from an experiential place. And the DM was basically someone reaching out saying, listen, I'm in a relationship. It's new. And because of COVID, this person did what a lot of people do, which is they moved in with the person they were dating right away. I know, I know the face you just made, no one could see that, but you need the face of like, <laughs> oh, and I agree with that. Uh, unfortunately, moving in too soon can apply a lot of unnecessary pressures on the front end that either a you're not prepared to deal with or b the person doesn't have enough investment in you to maybe want to stick around and deal with some of those rougher parts right like you gotta you gotta get the buy-in having said that the person was dming me asking me how do i deal with the fact that this person doesn't have a healthy relationship to food and bodies but their question was around, they are acting it out on me. They're constantly talking about what I'm eating and whether or not I'm moving or exercising. Weigh in on that.
2: Yeah. So I think first, not to sound harsh, but the first thing is that's why you don't move in with people right away because you don't necessarily yeah. know what, what they're going through. Listen, I made the mistake too. I did it too. I did that after like a month of dating somebody before. Um, lesson learned. I think that the biggest thing is that, um, number one, you have to understand that there their feelings towards food has nothing to do with you. Like, but traditionally what happens is, is when somebody is struggling with something, they're taking it out on the person that's they're closest with and you're living with that person. So you're definitely closest to them at this point in time. Uh, I think that you just knowing that it's not personal is important for you and you also being supportive to that, to your partner as well. Like, I think you can have a conversation with them. I, I, you know, if I was in, I was in this situation, actually, the person that I moved in with, When I lived with them for um, after dating a month, we moved in and we were together for four years. But this person struggled with anorexia uh, and it was the most triggering thing that I've ever been through because I was undiagnosed at that time. So we were kind of like playing back, uh, playing tennis back and forth, like piggybacking off of each other's, um, you know, eating disorder, and what eating disorders right there. I mean, you're just, you're, you're pointing out really beautifully how
1: it's, we reinforce, we can either help heal someone's relationship to themselves, food,
2: body and, 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 and confidence or like erode at it. Totally. And I think the thing, looking back on my situation, what I did wrong was I almost, I don't want to say I enabled it, but I fed into it. I allowed the abuse to happen. Cause I was Oh, I was body shamed by this person. It was it was so heavy, and I kind of bought into it. And then I thought that I deserved to be treated this way. So I think instead of looking looking back, instead of me like kind of going like buying into the, my ex's you know disordered eating and the way that I was treated, I would kind of throw my hands up in the air and actually be like, I don't deserve this because I think that. Instead of this question, it might go a little differently. The answer might go a little differently than I thought or you thought, but instead of like, you shouldn't have to be putting up with somebody else's Baggage, they need to work on it themselves, number one. Uh, but number two, I think it's important if you do decide to stay with this person to do your own research and to research ways that you can be supportive of this person. Because there are ways to be supportive, uh, but there's no excuse for this person to take anything out on you. But uh, ways that you can be supportive, uh, you can have that conversation, have open dialogue. Don't, when you say things, don't be accusatory when saying them, um, which I think is the biggest thing. And I also think like you don't have to try to make this person feel better about their issues by going down that rabbit hole with them, which is what I did with my ex because I felt so guilty because I knew that my ex was struggling that I went down this rabbit hole with with them as opposed to just being like, you know what, this is their journey. They need to figure it out on their own.
1: Yeah, and I want to also just call out to our listeners that you know, part of... Part of being a healthy person or just a good person I think is really paying attention to the impact you're having on the people that are in relationships with you. And if you're going to be in someone's life romantically, sexually, and whatever level, like be good for them. Make them better off having been with you. And so to really have a negative impact on them and to act out and project your own issues and struggles is a bummer. To me, you know, because that's the thing, like we enter each other's lives always with our own struggles. And like you just point out in your relationship, sometimes ours match theirs. And again, we have the opportunity to like be that healthier couple or we kind of eat away at it. So what was the
2: piece where you realized I need to exit this? Huh. Well, four years later, okay. uh, I I realized that I it was my disordered eating was kind of really spiraling out of control. And I felt so bad about myself. I felt like everything that was taken out on me, potentially because of my ex's eating disorder, um, amongst amongst other things, I felt like I deserved. I felt like everything that was happening to me, I deserved because I didn't feel loved. I felt like really garbage and I ended up getting out of this situation with you know, help from, from my family. Cause I needed it support emotional and my life changed for the better. Um, but I, but looking back again, I would do it differently. I would suggest like, here are support groups that you can go to, like, here are things, you know, if this is your partner, you want to, you do want to be a part of their life. So you have to find productive, proactive things to do.
1: Yeah. And I also think there's a piece that I try to remind single individuals, which is, you know, if you're going to date, uh, or if you're dating, remind yourself that you bring your stuff into this person's life. And do you have some work you might want to do? Do you think you're going to be a positive impact to make someone's life better? And if you're realizing, well, no, you know, I'm not, that, I'm not doing that well right now. I'm struggling with a lot of things. I'd say maybe pause on dating and work on yourself just to a point where you acknowledge that I've at least neutralized some of that, because you don't want to enter people's lives again, making it worse off.
2: But uh, do you find that a lot of times that people that are struggling with a lot of their inner demons, they also have this need for like validation and they don't want to feel lonely. So then they're, they want to be around other people. I know that you and I have touched on this before, but in the position that you're in, because I know I experienced this, do you ever experience people dating you and then them wanting you to be their therapist? Yes. Um, it's, it's very, it's, i that's that, the red
1: flag on a first date. People, I, I, either they're not aware of themselves or they're not aware of how I might uh, perceive what they're saying. But I've had people say on a first date, oh, wow, I could use a therapist myself or I could, you know, or I could, you know, and they start um, really boundlessly vomiting all their stuff at me. And I'm like, oh, man, this is a date. We're supposed to be courting each other. We're supposed to be attracting each other. And you're leading with your weaknesses or your struggles. And I know we all have them, but like, I don't know you. And so it really
2: sets off a trigger in me and a red flag. And I'm like, yikes run as fast as you can uh but then there's also the thing where if you're like in it if you're in the thick of an eating disorder like you shouldn't be dating anybody except yourself at that point to be honest because then you a lot of times you're putting your your self-worth and validation in, in your partner and then that always backfires every time
1: bam i mean and that's the question like ask yourself how 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 dateable how dateable am i right and it's not to shame anyone but I think it's healthy for an adult, like you just pointed out, to assess like what's going on in their lives and what might they try to misuse this personal relationship to fill or to you know I, train.
2: A hundred percent. I, you know, I went a really long time with going on a lot of first dates and never a second date. And I was like that there's must be something wrong with that person. And then I realized, wait, I, and when I started to get therapy and started to really work on myself, I started to see the red flags a mile away. And now I must, they must've seen red flags with me. They must've been like, this person doesn't have their, all of their stuff figured out. They're looking for validation. They're looking for this. So maybe I actually was the problem in my dating life for a really long time. Bam, there's some self-awareness. Ryan Sheldon, where can people find you? Uh, on Instagram at real Ryan Sheldon. Beautiful. Coming up
1: next, we're gonna talk about relational marital myths and tips and tricks. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio dot com. All right, we're back. And before we get to our topic, I wanted to just share information with you. So Excuse me, my breathing is funky today. I think it's from all the stuff in the air. But um, so PrEP, okay, those aren't familiar with PrEP. PrEP is a pill that helps prevent the exposure an infection of HIV, it has a higher success rate than condoms do. Condoms are about 96%-ish. PrEP has about a 99% efficacy rate, which means when you take it as prescribed, and PrEP is a pill that is for every human being, guys, girls, non-binary, gay, straight, it's for people that are high risk, people that have a lot of sex. And basically, like I said, if you take it, it prevents the infection of HIV. So... There's, a, there's always an advancement in this. This is what's so phenomenal about PrEP is we also know the traditional regimen is you take it every day and it has to build up into your system and in your tissues. It takes longer for those that have anal sex versus vaginal sex for it to build up, but it's literally a very quick thing. And so we, we also now know you don't have to take it every day that there's PrEP on demand, which is, which is a different protocol, and we'll talk about that. We've talked about that many times, but a new research project has come out, and this is out of the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health, the Fenway Institute in Boston, and also Harvard University, and they were looking at it, and basically the study showed that if you start taking the pill, right, the daily pill seven days before leaving for vacation the week before, and then you conclude the regimen seven days after returning home, guess what? Y'all is good. And the reason why that matters is because some people go on vacation and they realize, look, I'm going to have a lot of sex. I'm going away to party, to have fun, to have sex. And for some people, traveling vacation is about that. Sex with others, you know? So remember, prep is a part of uh, sexual health. And if you're someone who's at high risk, meaning you have... Don't like to use any other barrier methods and some people don't like condoms and that's okay. They're not for everyone. Uh, often we don't even have them on hand or we don't necessarily trust the person who's grabbing for a condom and condoms expire, blah, 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 blah. So prep is already built up and in your system. But then again, remember, some people don't want to take it every day. So you can take it just before going away on a trip or a vacation. I love things like that. Things that are working for us and meeting our needs because again, not everyone Wants the old, old routes. So let's talk about when you know it's time for marriage. So I'm looking at an article about the three questions you need to ask first. It's funny when I read articles about things in my field. A lot of them are ridiculous or they're regurgitated stuff that's outdated or wrong, or it's, you know, too heterocentric or transphobic. Let's break on down this one. So you think you're ready to get married? Well, number one, are you this, um, is this person's happiness and growth important to you as your own? I love that. Because as I always say, you want people to be better off from having been in relationship with and to you, right? And you want to be looking out for that person. And sometimes that means it won't be what they're doing or what they're needing. is not in service of your comfort or what you need, right? But you're looking out for their happiness and growth. You're happy when they're happy. And that might mean supporting them going back to school or taking a job where they're not around as much or starting to spend more time with their friends, Whatever it is, or their hobbies, you're like, I care for you. And if you're happy, I'm happy. And if you're in that place, the experts, and I agree with this, are saying like, that's a sign that maybe marriage is for you because marriage is a powerful commitment. And when I say that, I mean that legally first because of the contracts, it's expensive to get out of a marriage. I honor all intimacy and commitment. I don't think marriage is more of a commitment. It is financially and legally, but psychologically, I don't believe it's more of a commitment. There's a lot of people we know that are married that have far less love and commitment than many people that aren't and vice versa. And so it's really about the people. But if you're gonna take that big step and sign those contracts and spend money on a wedding, you might wanna really make sure that you're built for each other because it's it's a bigger financial and social investment on that level. Also, do we share expectations about what our life will be? This is really interesting. You know, we can only use our initial opinions as an initial opinion, as a starting point. You know, When you meet someone, they can't necessarily tell you what they'll want or need three years down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road. Whether it's whether or not to have children, whether it's not to move to the city or leave the city, whether or not it's monogamy, people can't say. All someone can ever really say is, all I can tell you is who I am and what I want right now. And if and when that changes, I'll let you know and we'll lovingly discuss what we need to do. But people grow and change sometimes in different directions. So the person you meet on that dating app and how they feel when you meet them on the app isn't how they'll always feel. And the person they are when you decide to get married isn't the person they'll always be. We should always be growing and changing, hopefully in ways that are always compatible, but not necessarily. But that's why those pieces matter. You know, if we're all on the same page about each other's health and growth, that's good. Second question, do we share expectations about our life will be? That one I think is a little more open-ended. I don't think you shouldn't have to nail it down. I've seen too many amazing people miss out on amazing relationships and keep themselves stuck, lonely and single by saying, oh, well, the minute I met them, I said, hey, um, do you want kids? Do you want to be married? And they just rattle off these questions. And it's like, remember, you're asking this person who doesn't even know you. They don't even know what kind of context this would be occurring in. And maybe they're just sitting there, you know, underemployed, unemployed, having come out of an unhappy relationship. And they're just kind of like, well, no, right now, sitting here, having just met you, those things don't make sense. But sure, after we've been dating for a while, we fell in love and everything's going well, sure, maybe then it will. So we have to be very thoughtful about these future-oriented questions because those things change. Some people might say, yeah, I want kids. Yeah, I want this. And then years later, they're like, I changed my mind. And you can't ever say, oh, but you promised years ago. It's like we grow and change. And that's part of being in a relationship is the willingness to go on that journey. And if we're with someone we trust and it's full of love, we know that our needs will always get accommodated. And if it has to end, even that will be done lovingly. And then finally, the last question, is this someone I can figure things out with? And that's kind of what I just talked about. Like we should be building relationships, whatever they are, socially, romantically, sexually, business-wise, with people that we know have a similar vision. But bigger than that, it's really about the ethics. If this person has ethics, then I know that whatever comes along will manage well. You know, and that's really what we should be looking for, not visions that are aligned and on the same page, because sometimes opposites work beautifully. And sometimes we can be beautifully influenced or inspired by our partner and we have more willingness. But again, that's not always there from the door. And so it really should just be a k- commitment of care and compassion and open dialogue so we always know where each other are. And that should be what we seek and what we're looking for, you know, because that's all that can really be promised. Ah, relationships. They're not for the weak, you know? They really, they really force us to grow up. All right, question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page in the story. Still a little more time to weigh in on that. We're gonna be coming up next to that and then doing some DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, time for question of the night. Officials in Germany started a study asking 4,000 volunteers to go to a concert so scientists could track the spread of the coronavirus. Would you volunteer to do a COVID study? 79%, 79 said, nah, I'm good. 21% said, sign me up. I'm curious about those people. Is it because you just wanted to go to a concert? I mean, what if the band's horrible? And also I wonder if you're getting paid, but hey, maybe that 21% are hyper altruistic and they're like, look, we're willing to do what we need to do to help the world out. That's beautiful, thanks. Uh, will you be getting the vaccine once it comes out? Was the other question. Fifty-eight percent said yes right away. Forty-two said. I'm going to wait a few months. Yeah, look, I think vaccines are important. I don't think they're always 100% safe. Um, I believe in vaccinations. I will get one, but yeah, I'm not going to be the first ones in line. I'm going to take a minute, sit back, and just make sure we've worked out all the kinks and figured it out. I don't know a lot about vaccines and vaccinations, but uh, the trusted resources I have and the research I've done, I think it is a good solution, Um, but I'm not going to jump on it immediately. I've also been self-isolating and knocking around anyone, so my risk is quite low. Uh, to transmit it and also to get infected. Because remember, that's the mental health part, right? That's the ethical part is it's not just your risk, it's are you also at risk of transmitting? And notice how I said that in the vaccine. I want us all to think that way. You might not be worried, but are you possibly transmitting it to others? Are you going around to other people? I saw a really great um, article and it was about how we have to talk about covid Um, exposure like we talk about STDs and STIs. That informed consent means whenever you're gonna interact with someone and they're possibly going to come in contact with something, you inform them. They can only consent. True consent means I'm aware of all the information I need to be aware of. True consent means I know what I'm coming in contact with. Because if you withhold information, then I haven't consented. I've only consented to that which I'm aware of and what I know, right? Surprise twists aren't consent. So with STDs and STDs, yeah, you need to explain to someone what they're possibly coming in contact with. And people also need to ask. COVID should be the same way at this point. Hey, I wanna go on a date. Hey, I wanna have sex or hey, I wanna hang out. What kind of risk are, am I setting myself up for? And someone should have to say or lovingly say, you know, well, I am self-isolating. However, I do have family members that are constantly going out in the world or traveling and frontline workers and they're coming home. And then the person can say, all right, I now can in an informed way, decide if I wanna to consent to spending time around you. Yeah, all, all infections, viruses, uh, bacterias. Yeah. It's all something that should be able to be discussed and talked about because it matters. So question of the night, will you be getting the vaccine when it comes out? Why or why not? First person said, we don't even know if it really works yet. I agree. I know they do a lot of testing, but, um, that doesn't mean things haven't been tested and taken off the market. Uh, we're rushing things. So we have to get a little more information. Someone else said, I don't know what I'm putting in my body. I know, but think about that. I appreciate that comment. I think we all need to ask more questions, but think about how much you put in your body that you don't know about the ingredients. Do you eat fast food? Are you seriously aware or unaware of all the nasty, nasty things in in fast food? Um, I've been at supermarkets and seen people grabbing different supplements without looking at what's in there. The preservatives, artificial flavoring and coloring. So it's always a little funky to me when people talk about wanting to know what they're putting in their body as they're drinking like a Red Bull. You know what I mean? Which is not (laughs) good for your body. So, you know, maybe use that as a a counterpoint to take a little more time to research all the things you're putting in your body. But I do appreciate that commentary. A question tonight is Will you be getting the vaccine once it comes out? If no, why not? Someone said, I just don't want to be in the first round. I'll wait till the second. I'm with you on that one. I am. So I support that. Someone else said, I just feel like it might be fake. Trump has done nothing right so far. What makes us think this will work? I appreciate that. I trust absolutely nothing coming out of or related to the Trump administration. And sadly, the CDC's guidelines have been um, derailed by Trump's involvement. So we can't really necessarily trust the CDC. It's heartbreaking our governor here, Newsom, is calling out the CDC and bashing them. And so we're kind of on our own in some ways, but just know that the vaccine creation and trials are done by secondary and tertiary sites, sources, and organizations. And so that is the piece that makes me feel a little bit better. That's also why, please, if you haven't registered to vote, do so now. It takes under five minutes to register to vote. You can get your ballot mailed to you, and then you should go drop it off. That's how we get that. That guy out of, tr- out of office. Okay, question night. Well, will you be getting the vaccine once it comes out? If not, why not? Someone else said, what's gonna happen? We get the vaccine and everything opens again? I'll just wait. I know. What I'm hearing is a lot of people are just anxious. They don't feel safe. They don't feel taken care of. And that's part of the Trump administration is they haven't allowed us to trust those that are supposed to be looking out for us in certain domains to do so. So register to vote and then vote. Biden and Kamala Harris. I know they're not everyone's top pick, but that's the way we gotta go. All right, y'all. That is our question night. Coming up next, we're going to be doing some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide the DMs is brought to you by Our Friends. At it's a big old sex. Boy. Do I need to sport confidence? DMs come from our Loveline IG page. This one says, "Hey, Dr. Chris." I'm really sad about everything that's going on right now in the world. I wake up depressed, I go to sleep depressed, it's just so much and I'm finding it so hard to slow down and deal with my thoughts, and my partner's thoughts and our thoughts together. I feel selfish because I'm clearly taking the protests and the pandemic a lot harder than she is and she's really helping me feel like she's giving 100, oh, I'm sorry, and she's really helping me but I feel like she's giving 150% and I'm only giving 50 at, better, at best sometimes. What do I need to do to get out of this funk and be a better partner? Um, You got to stay in it. You know, this falls under one of those headings of I want you to be where you are. I I don't agree that there's some toxic positivity woven in there. That the goal should always be to feel better and good and happy and positive. And that if you don't feel great, something bad is happening. You should feel bad. uh, There's a lot happening politically, socially. Environmentally, the pandemic—that's an honest natural response. I don't want to strengthen and perpetuate this idea that if we have a heavier, dark feeling around something that's happening, that our goal should be to get out or get rid of it. Feel bad, be angry. If you're not, I think you've actually maybe too closed off. So you're functioning fine. You're sad and depressed. We should be right now. I am as well. And our work is about learning how to allow that and carry that again, just because you're feeling anxious, sad, depressed, or low. That doesn't mean that that's bad or wrong. And the work is about feeling better. Let your partner carry and be 150% while you're at 50. That's part of partnership is them being supportive and helping you. Everyone has different mental needs, right? And and everyone has different levels of mental health. And we're allowed to be going through difficult, tough times because that's buried in there too. I shouldn't be feeling bad. I should always be feeling better. My partner should never have to take over a high percentage of the work. That's not true. Let your partner do that. Let yourself be where you're at. Just make sure you're doing the few things that you can do. And And right now, a lot of people are sad and depressed. That's okay be sad, be depressed, be angry. There's a lot of horrible things going on. I don't want us to create a world where we're robots and lives are being taken. Black people are literally being murdered for nothing and we're all just like robots moving through the day unbothered. So no, there's no quick tip or technique to not be a person and I say that lovingly. Mental health is feeling an emotional range and an emotional depth. You're feeling that, you're alive. We should be feeling that. If you're not feeling that, that's my bigger question. Why are you not stressed or anxious about all the things that are going on around us? It galvanizes us. Register to vote, vote, protest, demand inclusivity. Look around at your friends and your social groups and the corporate systems you're a part of and make sure all different kinds of people are being represented and given positions of power. Like work with it. The only thing I will leave you with though is I want to make sure you're, you're at a functional level. And if you're not, you got to get into therapy. There's no quick tip or trick to remove anyone having maybe a serious debilitating level of depression. You know, you need therapy, but I would, um, Also say just a couple things. Number one, make sure you're focusing on your socialization as well. Every day, reach out to three different friends or family members or people you care about. Why? They'll distract you. It's okay to take time away from all of these thoughts and feelings. Number two, they'll bring joy in your life. And number three, there's something just mentally healthy and and, and robust about staying connected. Also... Every day, self-care, joy, pleasure, and a lot of rest. And that's the best we got. And I'm okay with that because I want you to feel your feelings. Again, mental health is about being able to feel a range and depth of all emotions. Go deeper into it maybe. Listen to sad music. Journal about it acknowledge its beauty, acknowledge the, the health in it. There's health in people being anxious and depressed right now. That is a natural response to anxiety-inducing and depressive things happening around us. So I wanna land one more time by saying mental health isn't about always being happy and feeling good, right? That's not the goal. The goal is to, in a productive way, learn how to befriend our experiences and all of our emotions and allow them. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. You guys have an awesome weekend. Take care of yourselves. Plan some fun stuff. Check out old Loveline episodes at wearechannelq.com. Maybe pick up my books, Rebel Love and Sex Outside the Lines. They'll distract you, inspire you, transform you, educate you. And reach out to people, let people know you love them and that you're there. But generally this weekend, y'all turn your phones off, don't check them, put them away, take a few hours and just rest and find some fun. Thanks for hanging out with me and you all have an awesome, awesome night.